0: Podfix. This is Walter Cronkite, reporting from the place where news happens.
1: Mouse and wings. Good evening, and have a pleasant tomorrow.
2: Mouse and wings, and a 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 mouse and wings, and
0: a mouse and wings, and a mouse and wings. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mouse and Weens. We're back again. Another week. Hello. Yay. There's Weens mm-hmm. over there with a beautiful uh, uh, palm frond behind her, if you happen to yes. see us on YouTube. And I'm upstairs in this weird lighting, but that is okay because we have an amazing guest with us. I'm so excited Yay. for Jamie morjig Gourmet. I'm going to throw your maiden name in there too, because that's how I know you. <laughs> i know
1: that's so funny hi um hi. i know i i really wish i never changed my last name i'm really really upset
0: about it now yeah cause well, now i'm
1: stuck with my ex-husband's last name on everything i've ever done so yeah
0: that's, this is a, yeah, a, the plight <laughs> i know yes and now now you're married again and you could potentially change it right i don't
1: know. I could it's just that my books and everything i've done is in my husband my ex-husband's last name i'm trying That's to convince right. my current husband to take my ex-husband's last name so that oh. we all have it <laughs> that <laughs> is so but. my god on
0: brand for you okay because uh boys and girls and listeners jamie is a very progressive thinker and doer and uh you may know her from the i guess it's infamous famous the cover of time magazine from 2012 where she is standing up breastfeeding her son who is standing up too it was kind of a a big deal back in the day and still is because now we're at the 10-year anniversary of that um and 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 an author too that has since spawned a, a book i'm gonna hold it up for our camera here called um Modern Attachment Parenting. And I don't know if you can see all my tabs, but I I read a ton of it and I made little notes everywhere. So, Um, but yeah, let's jump in. And the reason we're having Jamie on too is because she's like our little sister because (laughs) my very best friend in the world growing up is her sister. So yeah, it's just so fun to hear a family voice in in my ears.
2: So, Jamie, will you tell? (laughs) Yes.
0: Sorry, I jumped in. No, go for it. It stepped on all of you.
2: But I want to, you know, people are going to be really curious about the Time Magazine cover. So, what happened with that? How did that all come to fruition?
1: Um, It was kind of by accident. I started a blog to keep really all of our friends updated on uh, the adoption process of our oldest son, um, who was adopted from Ethiopia. And I didn't really understand how blogs worked back then. And, um, and I didn't realize that we had like more people, it was like a blog spot blog from back in the day. I don't even know if people remember those, but, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that people were reading it that I, that I didn't know. And I must've mentioned something about air nursing, which was just really common in our family. As you guys know, I mean, I was breastfed for until I was six, I think, um, And so I didn't think anything of it, but all these women started talking or making comments and really were struggling with, um, with feeling like they were being ostracized for their breastfeeding choices. And so I just started talking about it more because I didn't realize that it was such a problem socially Mm -hmm. in this country. Um, And because of that time found me and then asked me to, um, to, to come and pose potentially for a picture inside of an article on Dr. Sears uh in Time magazine. So, and there were multiple families and I think only one was going to be chosen for the picture, too. I didn't think we were going to get picked and it really wasn't supposed to be a cover photo. Um Whoa. They chose that. Yeah, so it was, That's it was,
2: amazing. And how old yeah. was your son at that time?
1: 3. Okay. He was and a that tall did that year old. Know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I well, yeah, but think everybody in my family is except for me. I got my grandmother's jeans. Oh my
0: That's gosh. true. So the perspective. So you're yeah. a little more petite.
1: I'm only 5'4". And I think, yeah, Ellie's 5'9". Yeah. So something like that. She right. was, you guys are the same height.
0: Yeah. Right? Although I've been shrinking. Yeah. I'm now down to five seven. I was 5'8". <laughs> oh
1: no. I think I think Allie's got, I think my sister is down to five seven as well. She came Same. to
0: visit the other day and I
1: was like, oh <laughs> she's like a little little fawn. <laughs> oh
0: sweet Allie. Sweet. I know, I know. It's so cute. So
1: Jamie,
2: will you explain what attachment parenting is and why so you didn't think anything of it, but when you did your blog, they came along and then did that create First of all, what is attachment parenting, and why was that so controversial? Was the cover like? Did uh, you start getting crazy responses from that?
1: Yes, I mean, yes. Oh my gosh, I think I have PTSD from that. Um, but I uh, attachment parenting was co- the term was coined by Dr. Sears um, when the Baby Book came out. I think in nineteen. 19- 95. Although in the 50s, attachment parenting was um, getting studied study by John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth. Um, there's a lot of research on that um, that was it's talking about attachment styles. So really, when you you were born, up until, I mean, we always kind of have. We as humans um, need to attach, and so we make these sort of um, functioning attachments to each other. And so when they work, and it's healthy attachment. So, and you get that from your primary caregivers when you're first born. So those first few weeks of life are even extremely important, but you know, for the first few years, it's, um, you're making, you're starting to learn your attachment and who you're attaching to. So if that gets corrupted in certain ways, you can have, um, issues with attachment. So there's anxious styles of attachment where you get very clingy or very codependent, avoidant where you kind of, you know, those are the people who won't commit to a relationship when they're adults. So it. Does, so when you foster good attachment as a child, you typically become a better functioning adult with um, ways of being able to uh, regulate, like by yourself or co-regulate with other people better. If that makes okay. sense.
2: Okay, I <laughs> took a test. I, you inspired me. I took a test, and I am pre. <laughs> what is it? Preoccupied, anxious. So that's not that's not the But I can't figure it out. Joelle and I were just saying that mom was a great parent. So I don't know what happened. Could something have happened later in life? Or is it usually attachment theory? Is that or attachment? So
1: wait, attachment theory?
2: Yeah, you tell me.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I so my parents were attachment parents, and I have attachment disorders as well. So I don't think it's it's no one's doing anything hundred percent. And I think it's normal to have, I mean, your world isn't perfect. So it's not necessarily even your parents, you could have had a traumatic, something could have traumatic could have happened to you as a child, or maybe even like certain, certain children, even perhaps preschool does it to them, or um, I'm more anxious. And now, and as an adult, I become anxious avoidance. But I think that that's from my experiences with adults. So I think it does, it, it can change. You actually can become traumatized and develop attachment disorders as an adult
0: but i don't i mean, don't
1: quote me on that because i'm not 100 okay. <laughs> sure Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, well that's the thing with yeah, theories a lot of these theories it's like how can you really prove that this causes that and i mean there's a myriad of reasons like you know we're born a certain way we have certain wiring we have certain chemicals that makes us right. who we are but yeah
1: Right. No, exactly. And I think it's just, I think it's pretty common. Even if your mom, it could have been, you never, you don't know what it was. Like your mom was a great parent, but so was my mom, but there were definitely, and she like, I co-slept with her. She did every single like, quote unquote, attachment parenting tool that, um, that Dr. Sears has mentioned. And I still, you know, you still get kind of anxious and think of how anxious Allie was. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. in kind of to you too, to be a little bit more codependent, but um, yeah, but I think it really does. If you see children, like, um, a good example is the orphanages in Eastern Europe, like Romania. Uh, they did a lot of studies on them, and the children weren't being touched and weren't being, um, taken care of, and their needs weren't being met. And they lost, they, you notice that the kids weren't crying anymore, weren't doing anything, because that's how children communicate with their, their parents or their primary caregivers is, you know, they cry, they fuss to be picked up. Um, and when they, aren't crying anymore it's because they've lost hope that anybody's going to come there for them oh, and so God. that's really really yeah and there's a, and those children did develop um reactive attachment disorder which is um an extreme form of of an attachment disorder um that you see primarily in very abused children or children that are in institutions like that um mm. where nobody you know touched them or held them and they do kind of lose the ability to um function as a normal adult um violent tendencies.
0: There's a myriad of things that happen to them. Yeah, I can think of a couple of kids who I think were adopted from Eastern Europe now and grew up with my kids, and, and they've had trouble in school. Very, yeah. very violent and, um, yeah, just dysregulated.
1: Yeah, it's, just that, it's, not, yeah the children, it's not the children's fault at all, but it's, it's, the, it's the, the, the parent who has taken that honor, the primary caregiver who's taking that on, really, there's a lot of work that needs to go into m- m- mitigating some of those issues, and you know, sometimes they're lifelong.
0: Right. Yeah. So, yeah. what
2: is the primary healthy way that you feel that we do need to attach to our kids? What are some tips you can give people for secure? It, do you call it secure attachment, or what do you say when it's the best form of attachment?
1: When it's healthy attachment, is considered secure attachment. And, um, I think that I don't actually know one person who's perfectly securely attached. So I guess that it's, but, but we want to push towards that. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think that the best ways of doing that are basically you need to kind of look at your child's unique needs and meet those. And it's not your wants. It's not, you're not spoiling your child, but if your child, there's biological, there's it's communication that we have with, I mean, even breastfeeding is a set of behaviors that we have or we're communicating, we're making eye contact with our baby when we're breastfeeding them. Um there's ways that, that we're attaching or um we're communicating with them when we pick them up to when they cry so that they are if they're hungry, if they're tired. Um and if some children are just way more needy than other children. They're high I think even Dr. Sears wrote about it as a high needs child. Um, those children are really a lot of work, but, um, meeting those needs is even more important because those are the children that typically have issues when their needs aren't met. Um, and they're ignored or they're trying, they try to, in the 1950s, especially, um, they had, oh my gosh, the worst baby book came out around that time too. Um, was that but, the Dr. Uh, Spock had- book? Yes. Was it? Spock that's, book. that's yeah. what our
0: mom had. I remember it always on our shelf growing <laughs> up. I actually called her before this interview <laughs> to ask her how we were raised because I wasn't exactly sure. I knew that she had read that book, but I remembered her with Julianne since I'm the older sister and she was very yeah. tender and caring with Julianne. And, yeah. and so I got the whole story and she kind of did what you say to do in the book, which I love, which is kind of just go with nature and go with your intuition yeah. and work with what you've got. But, but go ahead, keep telling us your, your tips.
1: Oh no 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 that's that's really it. I mean it's not there. It's not about breastfeeding or baby wearing. Doctor Sears created all of those. He considers them tools and not rules. And he says that over and over again. People I think still don't really listen to that. Those aren't necessary things to attach to your child, but um, they're helpful in showing like those are some of those ways, like holding your baby or keeping them close or um, bed sharing with your baby um, and co sleeping. Those are ways that we biologically are connecting to our children, and those are really good ways to foster a, a secure attachment in them. But they're not necessary for it. Mm. Um, yeah. And then actually, Dr. McKenna, who is in at a Notre Dame, he came. He did a huge co-sleeping study that was, you know, at the time very controversial, and now it's just kind of solidifies what everybody thought um, before, which is bed sh- or it's not bed sharing, co-sleeping. And he calls it breast sleeping. Um, when it's an exclusively breastfed baby um, and you're not under the influence of, you know, medications or drugs or alcohol, it's pretty much impossible for you to hurt your baby when you're bed sharing or co-sleeping with them. Wow. Um, and it's because, yeah, there's a... Your baby is constantly breastfeeding at nighttime too. So when you're doing that, you are so in tune with your baby. Your baby is actually... Rates, I think, go down to almost nothing. Um, And your baby is listening to your heartbeat. It's the heart is syncing up with yours. Your breathing patterns um, are aligning. It's a lot of really interesting um, information that he found out. So, anytime you hear about co sleeping deaths, they're always generally the person didn't even want to sleep with their baby. They were under the influence of something. They passed out on the couch. They rolled over on their baby. They smothered them. And those aren't like that's not what any co sleeping
0: parent does that's that's a totally different thing yeah what about the husband if they're not as in tune with the baby um and they're in the bed because that's what mom said i asked her i said did we sleep with you did you co-sleep with us and she said no because your dad was so big our bed was small and he was such a sound sleeper i really was worried that he was going to roll over on you guys but she had a bassinet right by the by the bed and so that was what she did and then so for me, she said she moved me into a room with a crib and that I was kind of like, just went with the flow, adjusted, didn't cry a lot, went to bed. But Julianne was a little more needy and she <laughs> she had to put a twin mattress on the floor in Julianne in the in the nursery, I guess, where the crib was. And she would sleep there and hold your hand through the crib. Um, and that was kind of her way of doing it. And but she said she often just had to hold you up in a rocking chair all night, and um, and she said you were just super hungry and you nursed all the time. She could not fill you up, so <laughs> I think you're extra oh, attached to mom because you were on the boob the whole time. She said, Aww. so I liked I, it. I was. Would-
1: that's so funny. Well, didn't Julianne win, like, she won the award for having, like, she was a big baby, right? Yes. She was the She had the biggest chest circumference in the whole hospital. Or yes, sort of do, Yeah oh. I mean,
0: yeah, it was like a
1: healthy, <laughs> robust baby that probably needed a lot of nutrients. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So see, yes. I, well, okay. So what you're supposed to do or they tell you now, which is helpful is you put the mattress on the floor, Mm -hmm. Um. baby rolls off. It's not going to hurt the baby at all. And then you can, if if you're worried about another person in the bed, you can always put the baby on the end then. And then there's also other things you can put on the bed so the baby won't fall off or you can use a co-sleeper, which is now that's the, I hated that thing. I got one and I just, yeah. never used it but um, it's kind of like a little it, it looks like to, a hot
0: tub attached to a pool right kind of hangs out yeah, yeah, yeah to the side of the bed it hangs
1: yeah. on the bed so if you want the bed up and you want it so it's, it's impossible to roll over on your baby and your baby's basically right next to you but uh, for me I noticed that it, he slept better when he was touching me and yeah. then I also could just not wear a shirt and he could breath latch on and I got better sleep too so right
2: wow yeah, well, th- would you consider doing that if you ever I, had another one? Yeah,
0: I tried it with uh the one the littles. Uh when Toby first came home, my oldest, uh I was like all about it. I'm like, "Okay, we're going to do this co-sleeping thing." And Dave could not handle the noises, the gurgles, mm-hmm. the the wiggling, all the stuff, and he had just started a new law firm and he like needed his precious sleep. So, it was just our understanding that I would just kind of get up and go into the baby's room when he'd cry. So I did not co-sleep, but dang, did I rock that baby all night long and had him in my arms. Yeah. And it was just, you know, you're just trying to survive at that point. And to get yeah. sleep was so I don't, tough. I don't and, think it makes uh, a
1: difference to the baby. I think it makes more of a difference to the parents, to be honest, with that yeah. kind of stuff, because you're still, you're no matter what, especially with a new baby, you're going to be with them the majority of the night. So it's just, yeah. it's, um, if you don't mind getting up every time, I just, I think that's why a lot of people aren't having kids. Because A lot of people have like night doulas, which are not a new thing now is postpartum doulas or, or kind of like, kind of like having a nanny, but they're really there to help the mom. So they will bring the baby in to you and you can breastfeed that baby um, and they'll bring you snacks, and they'll let you go back to sleep. And then when the baby falls asleep, they'll hold the baby the whole time for you. Yeah. In the middle oh. of, the, and you're just now.
2: How do you feel about that? That,
0: yeah. that would have been great. Yeah.
2: Well, how would that? I fare? that.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: But then that's not really your mom. So could you? I mean, is it better to have?
1: Yeah. So for with prim- so we're we're a social species, just being primates. And so what you see is in. Like, if you look at any primates or if you look at any hunter-gatherer type of um, or more village-type human settings, it's not – I think that's the other problem that we have here is, like, mom is the primary caregiver, and it really shouldn't be like that. I mean, she should be the primary caregiver, but she should not be the only person, only caregiver. And so with this, you have – most people, they throw the moms into a mom group where we're all, like, you're considered – clinically insane <laughs> you have a baby your hormones are there to protect that baby and keep that baby alive um yeah. until it's five and then if we're born you know we are bipedal we have larger brains babies come out way earlier than any other mammal um and so you're hardwired and that's also another reason that we're um semi-monogamous too like we're the only really one of the only species that is like that um as as a mammal because we have to keep this baby alive until five that's the hardest time, um, like that's for our species to keep them alive. And if you look in like other underdeveloped countries, um, the mortality—they call it inf- the infant mortality rate, which is considered zero to five—is really high. Wow. Um, yeah. So, but because of that, you know, we have um, you have moms that are just like really they're their primary caregivers but they're tapped out we're supposed to, we're not supposed to be with a bunch of other moms that have babies the same age it's like putting a bunch of crazy people
0: in one room yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah we need our village we need our uh, grandmas and our aunties yes. and our sisters and yes it's hundred percent i i so would feel that. Creating yeah. that yeah yeah that's yeah
1: nice. so you getting and um one of my friends she got she tried to get doulas in all different age ranges even brought like you know an elderly woman who was a postpartum doula in so that she kind of create that environment but yeah most of the time you see you know 12 year old little girls um and then the little boys too but it's a lot of it is very um it's a very much of a matriarchy too a lot of little girls taking care of the babies the old the little sisters or the the, the other children in the village and then you'll see aunts uncles, everybody. And they will be wet nursing, too. So you'll see, like, some you'll go over, someone will nurse the baby for you if you're not around. It's not yeah. like a, that's not a, a stigmatized thing in, in most other cultures, yeah. which is really interesting, too. So yeah, so mom gets a break. So, yeah. okay, also,
2: we just, I had a class today, and it was, you know, it brought up feminism and the problems in our society. Where does the man stand and how important it is for them to be equally involved or... Or how involved should the man be? Do you have any info on
1: that? Oh, pretty. I mean, I'm assuming pretty involved. I, <laughs> I just logically, you'd want you'd want the husband to be involved. But again, like you know, because we are semi-monogamous and children, like we do have the most vulnerable um, infant in in mammals, basically, out of all of them. We're so helpless when we're born men are really supposed to come in and help protect and take care of um, this baby. And um, it's up until they're five. So at that point, I guess everyone can go their separate ways if they want, but that's not really what our culture does. But um, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but that's um, like hardwired in us. Um, So men, if they're not present, that's really not a biological norm. And so I think that they should be Really kind of, it's hard because, you know, if you are breastfeeding and you're exclusively breastfeeding, man can't do that much. And pumping is awful. If you don't, if you don't have to do it, I wouldn't do it Um, just because it is really hard on your body. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to, I I felt like I had to pump when Aaron was in the NICU. And I just remember thinking of all my friends who had done it for at least a year while they worked. And I was really kind of in awe of them because I was like, I don't know if I could do this. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. um, it's a different feeling. Um, then I just didn't like it. I really didn't like it. Yeah. Well, um, A, you feel hard. like a
0: cow, and B, it becomes this yeah mechanical, strange. It's not that loving, and the letdown, and all yeah. the signals that the baby gives you, and and the bonding, and it's so nice. It's such a nice, sweet feeling. Yeah. And yeah. Now, what do you say to parents who can't nurse for whatever reason? Um, and then I think you had something in your book about men can help with the um baby wearing and things like that too, right? There is the skin to skin
1: absolutely and... yeah, so they can they can absolutely i mean it it really is when the baby's a newborn, you can pretty much expect you know the mom to be doing a lot as far as the feedings and everything goes, but the man can support the mom, and I think that that's really. Um, Really, really important. I mean, this is if you have a heterosexual nuclear family, which a lot of people don't anymore, too. So it kind of doesn't doesn't apply to them. Um, I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, yeah, but I think that the I think yeah, men can if you I mean, if you are pumping, of course, dad can give the baby a bottle. But if you're not, he can baby wear. He can spend quality time. Just with you while the mom's breastfeeding, he can, you know, bring the mom food. He can be present with the baby. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of things that can happen, or just the baby will mom sleeps too. Right, right. Yeah. So, what do you
2: both think will happen? There's the shifting paradigm of men take becoming the primary caregiver as the woman goes to work. Is that gonna screw things up for our society? <laughs> they um, do it, I, I think in like other countries too. I think Denmark or Sweden, men get maternity leave just like women, and they yeah. They're we of- are
1: the only Western country that does not get pay- mandated paid parental leave. We don't get maternity leave, and we don't get paternity leave. And it's just, I can't believe that. It's, it's, and we're
2: the world's richest country. Come on, guys. Yeah,
1: right. We so have the backwards. highest maternal mortality rate too. We have the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world too. Really? Which is, I mean yeah, it's really, really compared to the other countries too, it's a lot higher. Mm. Um, so it's just, yeah, we're really, we should be, it's kind of, we're kind of a disgrace in that way and we mm. can do a lot better. And if we did that, you know, I think it's 87% of women go into um, parenthood wanting to breastfeed their babies. And um, the m- majority of them at some point that that, those efforts are thwarted and we want to figure out, why that is and then it's most, mostly social issues women are not given paid parental leave they're not you know we're not success we're given they're given bad health advice there's not there's there's so many obstacles and those are the things like I don't care if you don't want to breastfeed but the majority of women can breastfeed there's a very small population who physically can't and that's obviously not their fault either and babies will be fine but we, it's, it's economical to breastfeed. There's a surplus, you know, we need, we have a formula shortage right now. And because of that, we also have a human milk shortage and like, especially Nikki babies. They need that um, mm-hmm. to, to survive. You can't just, you can't give formula to a, to a Nikki baby. Their stomachs aren't developed properly to digest it. Can you it. tell me what that is? Um, I'm sorry. What's a Nikki baby? Oh. oh, a neonatal intensive care unit baby. So right. those babies are born premature, um or you know they have they're born with other problems and so they really need donor milk too and so right now we have a, a huge shortage of donor milk and a shortage of formula too if we got those 87 percent of women who wanted to breastfeed to be able to breastfeed we wouldn't be having shortages of anything too so that would be we, we would normalize probably human milk banks a little bit more too which is i think really important for us to do is a just for a health Care reasons for our country so rather than looking at it like looking at it more of a macro thing and it's like as a population we want to get our breastfeeding rates up and then not make women feel bad if they choose not to breastfeed or if they can't breastfeed but we want to make sure they actually are trying to meet their goals too
2: Mm -hmm. so why don't people choose to breastfeed is it mostly a situation of employment or they just don't like the feeling might not want
1: to well because like it's almost 90 percent that do so whoever doesn't they don't have to if they don't want to or i mean if there are some sort of like for whatever reason they like queen victoria they were just i was just reading this thing on her and she um she thought that breastfeeding was was disgusting and it was very i mean it was during the Victor- 18, like mid to late 1800s when that was going on. And for whatever reason, she felt like a cow. And it was definitely a social thing. And um, she didn't breastfeed any of her babies. She probably had severe postpartum depression, it looked like, too. But her daughters, because she had nine babies. She just, she, because there was no birth control back then. Um, and she didn't really like babies very much, too. Oh, but no. she liked how you got them, she said. <laughs> <So> oh,
3: <laughs> she just kept
1: having them um it was actually pretty funny but uh yeah but I guess that her daughters when they had babies they wanted to breastfeed them and they had to hide it from her and then when she found out she got furious at them and called them cows
0: oh, um, wow.
1: Victoria. wow yeah. so it's like I know <laughs> um she was she was an interesting lady but um yeah I guess you know that's that's cultural that's not a that's for whatever but whatever you know if you get in your head something some reason that is off-putting you know those are things that we should probably try to normalize but it's not really our responsibility to like make everybody feel
0: like it's if you think it's gross then don't breastfeed
1: it's no Mm -hmm. i mean no one's trying to to convince those people to to do it if you don't want it you don't have to
0: so you must have been Getting a lot of that messaging too when people saw you breastfeeding Aaron when he was so much older, and then even Samuel when you adopted him and then you nursed him too to have him bond with you and bond with his brother, right? And what was that like having to to field all of the the hatred or the judgment? I mean, I can't imagine. So
1: young, I was only twenty six when it came out, and I was just really confused and scared. and then now I don't, I really don't care. So I'm just, um, but I even now, like getting, I had an article just came out in Yahoo, and for whatever reason that thing went viral, and all these people were coming to my Instagram page, and it's just I, I just didn't really care um, at this really? point. I remember being scared. I try not to read comments, and they were everywhere when the Time Cover happened. But if I accidentally saw something or whatever, it will really upset me, and I didn't want to look at it just because. I didn't, it was, I think it was just, I was kind of paranoid at what people could potentially do. And now, after, you know, I'm old and <laughs> old and kind of grumpy, I guess, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just think of you're like, oh my God, go away. I don't know. You don't, you don't, these are just some random people. And why are they, like, why would you spend that much time coming on someone else's page that you don't know to try to tell them something? that they've already done like 10 years ago too it's just it's just it was bizarre i mean but like it's not even worth talking about i guess that's how i feel about it right i I don't really i I can't even tell you what the comments were because i don't remember um i guess they don't affect me at all
2: yeah yeah good what was the main controversy just that he was older and for the people that don't know like me what is the Mm -hmm. time when they when society tells you to cut off breastfeeding
1: that's really interesting. And why
2: does so, it bother why does it bother people so much?
0: Right.
1: Well, the yeah, I guess that because people sexualize the they objectify women and they sexualize women. So I think it was like a Madonna whore complex thing and when babies are I think that people got confused, especially back then, I mean we the the marker of when to stop kept getting moved, it's like, you know, later and later. Um, and what helped was the World Health Organization um, basically said that, um, you know, babies should be exclusively breastfed up to six months old, then you can start introducing solid foods. I think people got confused if that's when you're supposed to wean your baby. And they're just saying that that's when you should only be giving breast milk. And then at mm-hmm. six months, you can start introducing solids and allow, you know, and complementary foods, um, you can, you, and then your baby will primarily only have, you know, the main nutrients. Nutrients for the first year is probably still going to be breast milk, um, but they said that, um, you know, put it at a minimum of two years to breastfeed. During that time, your baby will be eating food at that point too. But that was um, the World Health Organization's um, recommendation. And then the only, and basically every other medical Group was basically was saying the same thing except for the aap and i think the only reason for that um was because of like just social pressures they didn't want to freak people out because we were so we're very sexually repressed here and because we associate breasts with i mean they're secondary reproductive organs they're basically made for you know for breastfeeding that's that's what they are but not yeah. to say like the whole body could be an erogenous zone too yeah. um but because breasts were so hypersexualized too, they would say six months and then um, a minimum of one year, and they just changed it recently to two years.
3: So they're oh, finally on
1: board with us. and that's a minimum. So like you can go beyond that as far as you want. They said two, but it's basically two years and beyond. So um, you were just
2: at the forefront of the movement, basically. They just hadn't caught up guess, to you at the time.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, other people have definitely been doing it for a while. It's just that it was. It's now it's just getting it's. I have noticed a huge difference um, with people, you know, breastfeeding now, whenever you have a, um, you have a baby and you get like a photo package, they add a breastfeeding shoot to it too, which I was mm. like, Oh, that's kind of kind of cute and funny. And like how much that changed because that used to be even people just posting their breastfeeding photos, which really helped normalize everything um, that was considered like they would get attacked for that even when they had a, a younger baby. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, age, like, Breastfeeding in public has definitely become more normalized and breastfeeding and allowing children to self-wean has become a little bit more normal, I think as well.
2: And when do average, on average, when do children self-wean?
1: Kathy Detweiler did a study on this. So the natural human weaning age is anywhere from two They She did this great study on it too. And she studied primates and humans and did, um, like, it's a very comprehensive she's a great anthropologist a biological anthropologist uh she looks at it any it's the biggest like range too it's um i think one and a half to two is the minimum that she's seen baby self-wean all the way up to eight years old wow so and that's that's their that's the average so you can see um and they've never found any studies that if you like that breastfeeding past a certain age does no n- there's no medical association that's even worried about it that they won't even do tests on it but there's basically nothing that says that it does any damage to your children so you can breastfeed So as basically as it's like. just
2: haters that think it's weird because it's yeah. not it's not normal yeah. in society so there's no negative consequence to it at all do they, I mean the people uh, what about psychologists do they say that forms too close of a bond and you should
0: like what are the negative No 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 no
1: yeah, no, none. I mean, no one, no one studied enough. There's no, like, I think that there were people who weren't psychologists, but were very excited to talk about, um, about the subject that they didn't know anything about. Like when the time cover came out, like everybody was coming out of the woodwork. And I remember this one woman was worried about she kept saying enmeshment with it. And that's yeah. impossible. Like you, can't, your baby will be, I remember my, because I was the only one that was breastfed really at all. But I mean, for definitely for past a year um, of my mom's kids, and she said that I was the most independent one out of all of them. Like I would, I'd have good safety boundaries, but I'd be the one that would go and want to explore a little bit more, um, or want to go off. And I did, I was the first one to like, my sister was breastfed for like two weeks, and she wanted to live five minutes away from my mom until she was.
2: Uh. (laughs) So So why, Why did your mom choose not to do breastfeeding then with the first two?
1: We had them so much younger, and she got mastitis with my sister at two weeks, and my brother at three months. And the doctors back then gave her bad advice and told her she had to um, wean Aww.
3: because you can't
1: breastfeed with mastitis. Which really, the best thing to do is to take your antibiotics and breastfeed through it. You'll get you'll get better faster.
0: Oh, wow. uh, Chilean, if you yeah you haven't had mastitis, right? I can't what imagine. is that? It's when you get an infection and you're. Breast gets completely engorged, and so, so painful to the touch, and oh, it's the worst thing ever. Why does it happen? I don't even know. Jamie, you know more about this than I do. If your milk sucks get clogged,
1: um, it's just you have a bunch of, you suddenly are making a bunch of breast milk, and it's not like a super thin substance, so it can clog up your duct. Um, And when something gets clogged, generally, because so much stuff is getting created and pushed out, it will cause an infection. It's extremely easy to get mastitis. Most women get it. My mom got it with me, too. But at Uh that point, she knew what to do. So she just breastfed through it. And I think she took antibiotics and she was... I think you have to take antibiotics. You feel like you're – I've never had it before, but apparently you feel like you're dying.
0: Um, It's the worst. I had a fever. I went into the shower, and I was just trying to squeeze it out and, like, just get it out of me and – put like big cabbage leaves on my boobs at one point but just had to put ice everywhere i was so hot and finally got on antibiotics but and then like trying to nurse it out but then it was so painful oh my gosh i have to give you guys credit you ladies
2: credit excuse me for saying guys but you guys ladies go through so much to have children that it's got to be an incredible bond that nobody else understands if they don't have kids
0: I think so. I mean, but I think you can bond to your baby even if you don't breastfeed, but definitely. Yeah. Motherhood. <laughs> gosh. And, and adoption too, Jamie, you can speak to that, but.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, it's that's weird. Especially, I mean, people don't, I wish they talked about it more, but especially when you're adopting, we adopted at a birth order, but we also adopted, we didn't adopt a baby, which I think people have the same issues that they have when they bring home an older child. Um, But it's different because it's a new baby and you are holding it so much all the time that you probably do bond and it's a little different. Mm -hmm. With a four-year-old, like Samuel came home, Aaron was two and a half and Samuel was four, almost four. Uh, He was a month shy of his fourth birthday. Um, And he came home and he... I was like, Oh, this is like, he was so cute and so sweet. But I was like, when is his mom? Like in my, my brain kept wondering when his mom was going to come and pick him up. Like I didn't, it didn't register that he was my child at all. Oh, um, and so that was a really strange experience. Cause you're like, Oh no, no. Like you logically know that you've adopted a child, but it's totally different than having a biological child where you have to learn. You guys right. both have to learn how to attach to each other. And um, in some ways it, it's, really it's it's more exciting or it's more like it's really when it does start to happen it's um, really rewarding because it it's just like I don't know it's hard to explain it's, it's really you have I kept thinking I'm like oh, okay this is this is really interesting and I kept thinking like yeah I kept thinking I was babysitting someone for a little wow. while um yeah. and a lot of other adoptive parents um like Melissa Faye Green talks about it a lot she's she adopted a lot of children internationally um, and really tells like kind of about like the the darker parts of it too because it's not easy and it definitely should not be like an option for infertility if it's not right for you it shouldn't be something it's I I'm really strongly believe in family preservation um above all else and then adoption really as a last resort um but uh but yeah well, we're so happy with I mean, we love Samuel so much and he's like the, the coolest kid but we yeah I think it took me breastfeeding him because he had been breastfed by someone. Um, up until probably the day of relinquishment or when he was in the orphanage. And so he he could latch perfectly fine. Um, So what was
0: that like, that moment of just like, okay, we're going to try this? Was that, were you nervous or confident? Yeah, no, I was,
1: I don't, I don't really, I just remember him being really curious about Aram nursing. And then we taught, we had a doctor who was an adoption specialist that we hired to help us. And he's like, do anything you would to your biological child to, um, your adopted child. And so we're like, okay, give us the green light to, to do that. And, um, so I offered it to him and he latched on and Aaron was nursing too. So I had, and they're both huge and I'm really small. He's the biggest Ethiopian person uh, <laughs> like ever, ever adopted probably. I don't know. It was just, I was expecting like at least one of my babies to be kind of more of my size and it just it wasn't going to happen. No. But, um, yeah, Aaron looked kind of confused. I remember him being confused at first and then it kind of, I think it helped all of us attach to each other because Aaron realized that he wasn't, he was equal to him. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. just a friend coming over to play. It helped me attach to Samuel because it went through like the physical motions and my brain started recognizing that it was my child. And, um, and then with Samuel, it helped, it helped, I think, comfort him and give him something from home. Um, you know, it was nice to be able to give him that. And then right. I think Aaron, as soon as he started speaking English, weaned himself and I think that that that's actually what my um our international uh, adoption specialist told us was going to happen so
0: wow it was really really
1: yeah yeah
0: that is so cool and I, I I have to commend you for for doing this and and in the public forum too after your your time cover and and dealing with you know becoming a little bit hardened Uh, not really hardened but knowing how to field the answers and how to talk about hard subjects because yeah I followed you since day one when you were kind of in the public forum and you will post controversial things and discuss them and want them to be out there and you have the chops to do it too you have an anthropology background is that right yeah,
1: anthropology, physical anthropology, and then a theology background as well, which I, I that was more, I think, after I moved to Ghana um, and I came back and for whatever reason wanted to study um, theology, which has been oddly extremely helpful with everything that I've done too. So I'm really glad I, I pursued that. Wait,
2: how can you say how? that it's yeah. ethnology and what is that? Because I'm so sorry, I
0: don't know. No, it's theology, oh, study theology. of religion.
1: I'm sorry, yeah. I'm
0: sorry. Right? Yeah, yeah, theology,
1: theology, church history, um, and biblical studies, and then um, physical anthropology. So, those were oddly very helpful for everything that happened to me, you know, after in in my 20s. But uh, at the time, I was like, I don't know, I'm just interested, so I'm going to study these things. I know (laughs) nothing, I wasn't planning on doing anything with them.
0: I love so. it, but look at you now, like, you have 100% done something with them, and... Yes, I know, oddly, I know. I it really love <laughs> it. Well, and so yeah. religion comes into it, too. I'm sure you've had a lot of pushback from different groups, or, or support from different groups. Who who are the... Oh, my gosh. Like, what would you See, say generally? I have, um,
1: I mean, I think it's... I don't know. I honestly, I, there's every single group of people. So like very science minded people are super into attachment parenting and the ideas of it. Um, And then there's also a lot of um, faith-based groups that are as well. And then there's people in all those sectors that are just like kind of crazy too. And they're, they're not like, it's not because they're interested in those things or that they're even experts in them because they're definitely not at all. Um, But they like, you know, associate themselves with whatever that you know interest is or whatever and then they'll come at me you know very aggressively so it's I can't it's not there's no specific group everyone um yeah I had this one I think it was I can't remember what group it was but it seems like some sort of a Quaker group of people I got um physical hate mail (laughs) through the oh my gosh I I was I would get weird stalker letters, but then I would get hate mail too. And one, this guy sent me, this guy sent me an eight page manifesto. Um, And I, at first I opened it up and I was still married to my ex-husband at the time, the police officer. And I was looking at I'm like, do you think there's anthrax in here? And he was like (laughs) looking at it, started reading it. He was like, whoa, there's like pictures in here too. And he sent me like, it was the weirdest thing. I have it still. I kept it. Um, And I was like, do you think it's a threat? he would go to the police and he's like no because it was like repent or burn in hell it kept saying over and over again he goes no i think he wants you to repent or you'll burn in hell." oh my god <laughs> so just just okay, straight, straight forward there oh my god yeah but it was like all these things like how men's hair should be cut and if it, it was not cut a certain way or how women's hair should be and how long it needs to be oh boy. and then the um it was it was very like mentally ill kind of stuff but i think it was an actual religious group that said it so it was it was something like if a man has longer hair than past his ears it was homosexual everything that was bad was equated with homosexuality too i mean it was it was it was not, the person was not well, but oh, it seemed like it actually came from a group of people. So I'm like, there's a cool congregation of these oh people out there. God. Something
2: for everyone and some are yeah. not so great. Jamie, are you, how do you consider yourself? Are you Christian or
1: atheist or? Um, I consider myself, I guess, a follower of Jesus, but I don't even like saying a Christian and I don't necessarily i don't i'm a complicated creature i guess yes. <laughs> in that there way
2: <laughs> yes yeah we are yeah i was just curious like yeah. if that was a religious response to you not believing or something but uh, no, yeah no oh, I- yeah no
1: no and i think yeah i don't think it was that i well maybe not i yeah i guess he, that person definitely associated breasts with um because he called me a pedophile multiple times in oh, it too. Gosh. so yeah yeah no that's those ones are i mean they're very concerning because it, you worry about like, if this this person knows my address? Will they I, will they come to my my home and try to hurt me? And so those I don't mind them. It's not nice to hear you're a pedophile, even if you know you're not one. But that was yeah. beside the point. It was more like this person is it's legitimately crazy and they yeah. might try to come and harm. That's me. scary about crazy. being in the
2: public eye. And yeah, do you want to talk, Joelle? Do you want to talk a little bit about the book and Jamie? I want to hear. I want to hear about that and make sure that we. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When did that come out? I love the book.
1: It came out the end of 2019, so right before the pandemic. It was quite a a time. Um, Yeah. And then, and yeah. And so,
0: um, can I just say Mm too, I want to point out it it has a foreword from Alanis Morissette. No, Alanis is how you pronounce it. Alanis Morissette. And um, you guys have become friends. Right this Yeah, is... we have
1: what? Yeah. And then it. oh, I don't want to forget too. Um, also, uh, Martha uh, Sears, Dr. Sears wife, um, she edited every single, she went through every single page of the book when um, I had my first draft and edited like word for word everything with me. Wow. So it was a it was a really cool full wow. circle moment to have the dear family help me um with, with my book
0: too and yeah. Joe, for the, the
2: listeners what is the title sorry for the people listening who sure yeah say.
0: modern attachment parenting the comprehensive guide to raising a secure child by Jamie Grumet wow. uh forward by <laughs> Alanis Morissette introduction by William Sears MD so yeah, yeah it's It's really good, so go ahead. you you talk about the three B's. Um, you you're very vulnerable in the book. You talk about how um, you thought you might be a failure. I love the stories in between. It's super honest, and it's also very yeah you. um, you're very uh, open and arms open and telling your readers to be open to whatever situation they're in and encouraging. Right. like you can do it if you can't nurse that's okay. If you have a nanny, that's okay. If you have to go back to work, that's okay. Work with what works in your world and use your intuition. And I love that. I love that so much. But thank you. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like we, you know, we do, we live in a modern society and just part of like, we, there are like definite things that we, we have biologically that our bodies, you know, it's, evolution takes is very, very slow. And it's just that we're hardwired still for, you know, thousands of years ago. And, you know, we've, we've, we've developed a lot of things, culture changes really rapidly. And for all, like, sometimes we do have to give up something like cars are a good example of that. Like we no longer have low impact cardio all day from walking. We have cars which are great and we don't want to not have them anymore, even though we need that low impact cardio. So with every, every culture, everything that we do um, in our culture, there might be a give and take for our biology. And so we've, you know, supplemented that with going to the gym, or with, um, you know, trying to take walks, we have to consciously try to, to add that into our lives, though, or else, you know, we can get get ill just from from not working out. And like the same thing goes with parenting, too. We have um, you know, there are certain biological things that we're wi- like that are wired for our babies and for us, and if we can't do that because
0: our cultures changed, we need to figure out a way to mediate that. Right, right, it makes sense. Yeah. We are sponsored by Dream Dinners. Dream Dinners is a wonderful food preparation service that is offering our listeners $99 off their first order if you enter Mouse and Weans 99 at checkout. And let me tell you what that includes this is a month's worth of meals, you guys, that is already chopped up, prepped. It's separated for you. It comes in a bag with instructions and it goes in your freezer so you can take it out and thaw it anytime that it's convenient for you and cook up a quick dinner 20, 30 minutes. It is such a game changer for us. We cook dinners together as a family. We sit down and eat meals as a family and it's healthy food. It's great quality food and you can modify it according to your likes and dislikes. You can give them special instructions It's perfect for people who don't know how to cook. It's so simple. I leave instructions out for the kids or my husband sometimes. They have looked into it, and you save 20 hours a month from shopping and prepping. And really, the cost of meals is about $6.50 per meal, which is so cheap when you think about it. So much cheaper than a lot of the other services. So do go to DreamDinners.com. Look up your location. If you're within 25 miles of Poway or San Marcos locations, just enter "Mouse 99". You will get $99 off your first full order. And you will receive free shipping, free shipping, free delivery. They don't ship it. They bring it to you or you can go pick it up yourself. But it's so easy. You guys do it. It is such a life changer. Enjoy. It has a little bit of something for everyone in here too. Um sleep training, the cry it out thing. That's important, too. I have so many friends having babies and they do do the cry it out thing. Um, but maybe modified. I don't know. I didn't believe in it necessarily. It just hurt my heart too much to do it.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah. that was
0: just my instinct. And for some people it works, but you know, you probably advocate for try not to let them cry as much as you can, because that's communication, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, there's just like, there's certain things that
0: know are
1: not like they've studied it and we just know aren't good. And that really is one of them. Um, But there's the understanding, like the reason that we're doing it is because when people are really tired and they're trying to get sleep and they have to go to work. So there's other ways of trying to foster good sleep or to try to calm your baby that won't traumatize um, him or her. Um, And so, yeah, so it's kind of like um, spanking too. It's just like it's across the board is not good for your kids. Um, and not say like, you know, people, some people that don't even want to do it, do it sometimes too. And they feel bad about it afterwards. So just, I'm not saying me. That's, it's normal, it's, it's normal. That's normal. But, um, <sighs> but we know that that's not, that shouldn't be a go-to thing to do and you should really should try to avoid it. And there's other ways of, um, creating, discipline like that's very healthy and helping your child grow and lead them into adulthood in ways that are really like you know you're not a passive parent that's saying yes to everything and allowing your child to run around you, you but you know going towards like why what's causing the behaviors rather than just trying to beat them into submission essentially right so, right. so
2: what do you do with our timeouts considered okay like what are the uh, good <laughs> That's discipline a controversial
1: thing i guess it's like a kind of i'm so out of the loop with those but um i never did them i don't think that they work at all <laughs> but um yeah a lot of people think that they're actually really like they negatively impact your child um I don't like it's definitely this. I don't really know any of the research that's on it. I definitely yeah. don't
0: think it's the same as spanking your child. Um, yeah. yeah,
1: for sure. But I was you, the queen yeah, but... of
0: timeouts, man. I was all about that. And, <laughs> and well, what do you
2: do in the place? Oh, I'm sorry, Joe.
0: It was just a if then, if you do this, then this is going to happen. It was almost teaching natural consequences, but just not letting them leave the spot and making them think about what they did. I don't know. I've justified yeah, it at the time. The spanking was awful, though. I did that on the advice of a nurse. If there was something that was happening over and over and it was really bad, you have to do it one time and one time only, and they'll learn. And so I was like, okay, I gone into this little lecture, and I spanked Elliot and instantly felt awful and started crying. And But he didn't do the thing anymore, and... um yeah, but it still haunts me. I wish <laughs> I, I hadn't done rotten. it. Probably just seeing how much you
1: cried afterwards. Yeah. She was traumatized for not I don't think it's the spanking that changes the behavior. I mean, maybe if you... I don't know. I just think kids still do... They still get beatings. Like, you know, a lot of my friends who were kids would do things and get, you know, spanked pretty... Like, with a belt, even. And they would continue to be really naughty little kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, I. Uh, yeah I don't think it really I don't think it does the, the spanking for sure they know rewires the brain too. It's r- really negative. I don't think timeout I don't think they do they, they're negative in in that way, but they yeah, there's but that's like a big controversial thing apparently among among parents is talking about those those things. I just think consistency was really key for the boys. like so if you said something like, hey, you can't do that or we're gonna like we we're at Disneyland and they we're doing something, and you're like, we have to leave. My dad would be the, the king of being like, okay, and then keep giving us more and more chances. And we're like, yes. okay, you basically taught us how to, like, manipulate you at this point. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you have to, like, if you say you're going to leave, you have to follow through and, like, leave if you're going to do something. So take them away from whatever the, the thing is. And then they start knowing, like, okay, like, she says we're going to leave or we're going to have to go to bed early or whatever. We really have to do it. Like, it's, <laughs> that's really going to happen. Yeah. Um, I wasn't that great with that though, all the time, but <laughs> well, it's I really hard see it to work f- when I did do it, right? It's a lot yeah. of
2: energy to follow through on that stuff, and sometimes it ruins the whole family plan if you have to actually follow through right. We're mm-hmm. we're going to leave Right, or yeah. I realize,
1: well, I don't want to go yet. I'm not yeah. done with Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. But
2: exactly. that's what I've heard, you know, in my limited amount of parenting books or whatever I've read. It was that the parents really do have to stay on top of the consequences and they're harder to implement when they're not just, you know, of course, we don't want to slap and do it. But you really do have to follow through on what you say, which requires more effort.
1: Is that? Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not easy to have children. I remember sitting there when the boys must have been like five or six and people were trying to get pregnant again, which I'm doing now. But I was, you know, once you're in it, when you're really in the trenches, too, and you're like taking care of actually around six they get really easy so they must have been like three and four or somewhere around then and they were even going to the grocery store how they never found me in the fetal position in whole foods crying I don't know (laughs) and every time I leave and I'd be like I'm never going shopping with them again and then we'd be there the next day
0: (laughs) going Um, I did that to to my mom I think shoe shopping she swore like I'm never going to the mall with your children again because we were just trying to buy them shoes and Poor grandma. She didn't know how rotten they could be out in public. It was hilarious, but yeah. it was right in that prime boy crazy. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. Not, they mean nothing by it They're not like intentionally naughty. They're just really curious and extremely active and have a lot of like energy. And so, and having two of them, like I remember, Samit was curious and touched one thing in like you know the the aisle with all of like the essential oils at Whole Foods. Ooh. She touched something, didn't mean anything by it. Just was curious about it. Looked. And I was walking, and all of a sudden, I heard the entire oh, aisle clap. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> and it was, and I just, I just didn't even look back, and I just kept walking forward, <laughs> just like a couple to look. Quick, um, yeah, Aram, yeah. Aram at Trader Joe's once had a whole um, shopping cart. I told him not to go on this. I was like, "Don't go on the side of the shopping cart. Go on the front, or it's going to fall over on you." And he didn't listen. And sure enough, the whole thing fell over on top of him, and oh all like gosh. everybody was running. And he just kept saying, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And you're like, "Look how sweet he is. He's apologizing <laughs> for that." And I'm like, "Yeah, because he knows. I don't know how to do that." Right? Um, yeah. yeah. It was just all, yeah, it was a lot of work. And then I was like, "I why would anybody intentionally have kids? I don't get this." And now, <laughs> yeah. After you're, after you're out of it, you're like, "Oh, they were so cute back then."
0: It's <laughs> I a have lot. It more. I know. Yeah. And yeah, the bottom line too is we have to freaking support each other, moms. No more judgment and let's just all look at each other across that grocery store and give the knowing look, the knowing nod, instead of this galley face. Well, you know
2: what? And that that's what was interesting when you brought up that you got a lot of haters when you had the Time magazine or even on your blog. It seems like mothers, from what I've noticed, feel like they they do it the right way and everybody else is doing it the wrong way. So is that like a hormonal mother thing that you feel like you have to tell someone they're doing it wrong as a like, what is that? Mothers get so no, fired up.
1: That's a, that's, a, that's guilt. That's a, so uh-huh. when you because if you notice, like if you get a lot of if you talk about attachment parenting in co- like, you know, in college and a lot of people don't have kids yet a lot more receptive to the idea once you have them if you're saying something like hey this is really great or this works and you're not doing it that way people are getting defensive because they have to protect how they're raising their children nobody nobody wants to think that they've done they've hurt their kids and so like I really understand that It's, it's that it's it's a defense mechanism that's just like a gut reaction to wanting to protect your child and also wanting to protect like the way that you've raised them and and trying to prove that you haven't done any damage and so they'll generally they'll typically go the opposite way and attack you
2: that's interesting okay thanks for explaining that that was probably the best explanation of that i've heard and it makes total sense right because you you don't have a rule book you're gathering information this is your baby and you have to justify why you've done it yeah Mm -hmm. Exactly. yeah
1: absolutely yeah. So especially the polar opposite than what you did, your natural reaction is to be like, well, that's terrible. I didn't do that. And mm-hmm. so um, right. you're wrong.
0: Right. Um, and a, a lot of projection yeah. too. Yeah. Maybe they see what you have oh, yeah. and feel badly. And yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You really threw yourself into the fire with this one, Jamie. This is a, uh, I'm proud of you for agreeing to do that time magazine cover. I mean, like, are you, glad you did it? Or do you look back and regret it? Or I remember you said you didn't love the slogan they put next to it, right? The title? Oh, yeah,
1: I didn't didn't like that. I didn't like the picture, but they didn't really like the picture either. We were that wasn't a picture that we necessarily posed for. It wasn't one that we didn't pose for. But we were, they were fixing my hair, they wanted me sitting and cradling Aram, like a Maria Laxin. And he was just so big, it was hard to cradle him. And it was his nap time. So he was nursing. My hair is just like thin. They were trying to pull it back and they were trying to fix my outfit. And so he was standing there nursing, like getting really sleepy. So (laughs) So I have to tell you,
2: just for the people that can't see, it's the title is Are You Mom Enough? And Jamie is standing there and Aaron is breastfeeding, but he's standing on a little kid chair. So it shows how tall he is. And yeah, so she's holding up for the viewers. But um, yeah, that's interesting why they chose that one. Why do you think?
1: Yeah uh, I mean it's definitely they called it the most incendiary cover of all time as though what? it's uh yeah I know which I was like these other ones God is dead might have been a little bit more than that but that's okay um but <laughs> I just, well what they how they explained it to I mean I really did I liked everybody that we worked with at the time I thought that they were all really honest and kind and Uh, how they explained it was the first one, there's one at Time Lightbox. If you go there and look at all the photos, you'll see some of the other women who could have potentially been on the cover, the ones that they photographed um, the same day. And um, you can also see the photo that was supposed to make it on the cover, which was, uh, I was sitting down and he had fallen asleep at that point and I was cradling him. Um, But because of the way, like they liked the fact that it was um, aesthetically the way that the, the composition of it, where I was tall, Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do look at like other covers, you don't see... The other one, I was sitting down too low. There would have been too much empty space, I think. Mm-hmm. The tall, the height of that one worked really well. And it was also really controversial. I mean, they're going to pick the one that... It looks more that, dramatic. But think... Right. Yeah. But I do think a lot of it was the fact that it was like how the, the standing did. They liked that better. But the um, yeah, the editors were in there and they definitely they didn't like it at the time. I remember that. Mm-hmm. They are like, no, not this. But it was just because we were... We were just like, we we're yeah, just trying different things. It wasn't that was not the shot that like we were really looking there. Anybody was looking for. You know right. what,
2: Jamie? I just had a vision. Oh, vision. Let's hear I it. I had a vision that yeah. if you put out these books, there was a wonderful documentary series, which uh, I don't remember the name, but it was called like 25 Up. And then 45 up in the documentary filmmakers followed this group of people all throughout their life. And every five to 10 years, I can't remember, they would document how the people were doing. And it was just like an experiment to see how people are throughout their the course of their life. How did they turn out? What happened? And that would be so cool to find out your attachment styles working on your own children. And if you released a book every so often and. Uh, That would be really cool because I'm looking into that now, all the attachment stuff. I mean, you really got me inspired and I'm looking at my own attachment styles and I've read a few books and and so we want to – now I'm having to trace back and go, what happened in the past that got me to this diagnosis of uh, preoccupied anxious? It would be cool to see people –
1: What's the preoccupied part? I mean, I have know different mixtures of uh, attachment disorders, but I don't think I've ever heard that one before. Oh,
2: I don't know. Maybe it was just some hokey test online, but it was basically... Oh, no, no, no,
1: It's like stay, it, you stay pre, Like, you have to keep yourself busy? Is that what it was saying? <laughs> Do you remember I, what it said at all? I think maybe
2: you're hypervigilant because whatever happened, you're, you hang back and you're very aware of all the moods in the room and maybe... You know, I think my sweet dad, I love him, but definitely there was a lot of ups, up and down moods and things. So you're maybe a kid that just happened to be, you know, you learn how to kind of walk on eggshells and to monitor everyone. So you do that now in adult life. So you're preoccupied yeah. by, why hasn't that guy called me? We just went on a date. How come he hasn't called me? He must be abandoning me. And the anxiety that comes Kind of with, the perseverating about the certain thought or something. Yeah, so. like obsessive thinking. And you're very vigilant of everyone's moods if in the room. So if, some, you know, if, Joelle, you you scowl at me, but you just stubbed your toe, I would think it was
1: my fault. Or Got it. Yeah, no, that's. That the people pleasing and the uh, co- kind of codependency and anxious attachment is all kind of together. It it does really come from um, your parents, probably. <laughs> to be honest, uh, that's what they found. Typically, something happened, um, and it's not necessarily nothing necessarily negative, but like yeah, for whatever reason. Had You know, there were certain things that had happened and the children really want to hyper-please them um, or just like make everything calm or like, yes, mm-hmm. make, the, make the water. um but that's like, I think, the most common attachment disorder, too. So it's for it. all. It's did, you, so um, did
2: you. And you don't have to talk about this if it's too personal, but what led you to your results of being more anxious? Did you figure out what that was? And you don't have to talk about I, it if it's too personal.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was my parents. They both have um, qualities about them. I was talking about this with my therapist last mm. week. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that they both, they had two different qualities where my mom, um, sorry, mom, but uh, she's more like a needy needier person and would need to kind of confide in me with things. She wouldn't parentify me too, too much, but she would tell me things that I think would upset me. And then my dad's more of like charming, you know, has narcissistic qualities, but uh, kind of more of a charming person. And that liked really big things, really exciting things. And they're both really lovely, like very loving people too. It's not like you have to have a bad childhood to have an attachment disorder, but there's certain things that they definitely you know, didn't a hundred percent do right just because of their own stuff. Um, yeah. That I think, yeah, when when they would just the way that they communicated with me, um, I would get very codependent or want to people please um, because of that. Um, and I was mean, it was that, it
2: guilt that was operating a lot? Like guilt and shame seem to be these Brene Brown triggered terms that come up all the time. So. I mean, it sounds like you said the parentification is one, so the parents rely too much on the kid to listen to their issues. Is that we that dad, for that sure. A
1: yeah, she didn't do it too much, but it would be like, you know, like her dad died when I was two, and I remember her crying to me a lot. And, like, those are the things we know now that aren't really necessarily good for your children to see. Like, she needed me, like, to comfort her. Mm -hmm. um and I really your children shouldn't be the ones to comfort you when you're in in grief your your little children your adult Mm -hmm. children it's a different but um but even then it's that's that's a whole different conversation but um (laughs) yeah I think it was I think they got it I and I think they have it too but they got it from like the where like my grandparents and like you were very it's very much like keeping up with the Joneses or like very presentational so everyone has to do everything right and it kind of like you kind of get scared into needing to perform um mm-hmm. correctly or and it's it's about like pleasing everybody else yeah you know? and looking um, good so I
2: think that comes up a lot in my yeah. thing is like looking mm-hmm. good to yeah. the outside world yeah it's
1: a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah sure. yeah so it is like yeah, I don't want people to talk <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's a uh, it's yeah it's a weird thing um but How did they
0: deal with you going kind of public with stuff like this? Were they embarrassed at all or supportive? Or I think I know the answer, but I, I'm not sure.
1: Oh, they were so supportive. But I think yeah. it's also because they're, yeah, but that that's another part of like the very big, grand, everybody's doing something really impressive kind of thing. And so they, um, but, but they also like, they also were very pro breastfeeding. But my mom would always, like, even though she was, even though she breastfed me till she was six, I mean, she would kind of worry what people would think about things or she would be like, Oh, well she has a picture. Although there was a picture of me at two years old over there, like over their fireplace in their bedroom of me breastfeeding. I know so, that picture. Um, in
0: fact, Jamie, do you remember yeah. this when I was just starting? I think I was a freshman in college. So you came along when Allie was 13, right? Was, she, is that how yeah, old she I think was? I was
1: four, I think 14. She was, she was yeah, close to 14. Okay, so,
0: yeah, oh, I was there yeah. too, and you were like our little baby, and we were the built-in babysitters, and we just would play a doll with you, and you were just the little sister. You were so much fun and so cute, and oh my gosh, and Gerber baby, little model baby, you're so pretty, um, still are, but uh, when I – so that – how many years is that? I guess that's four years, so you were four years old, and um, I did a report on – watching kids. I, it was a child psychology course. And so I had to just observe you. So I just sat in a room and watched you play. And at one point, you came up to me and you said, Joelle, I have a secret. And I said, what? And you go, I still nuke on my mommy. Do you remember oh, yeah. this? Yeah, no, my mom remembers it because she thinks it's the sweetest story in the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: It day. It was I don't c- remember doing it all yeah yeah I, I found
0: that. That was, that was, that, I yeah, found the report I thought, recently I had typed it all up and everything oh, because it was like it was sweet and you were like yeah. you know but it's okay and I'm like it is okay and something I forget. but yeah it was it was cute you were
2: so I wondered was there any oh I'm sorry I get so excited with my
0: questions no no that's good but this was because hypologist.
2: you said it was a secret was there some shame that you might have carried from knowing that was
1: my my mom must have felt no I didn't care at all (laughs) but I think she she must have done something for me to think that she wanted wanted didn't want people to know or like certain people to know like maybe we don't tell people that because they might talk
0: Mm -hmm. um which must be so common I I would imagine that must happen a lot for parents who do this
1: yeah absolutely um yeah I think that there's like that embarrassment like no one wants to be laughed at and it's not there's nothing funny about it I and mean, it's just like a really normal thing and um I think people aren't used to seeing it too so like especially an older child it, it looks different. I think we're all used to seeing babies breastfeeding at this point but yeah. mm-hmm. I think um if you don't see an, you know you it's not normal because you also don't breastfeed like, as the children get older they're breastfeeding a lot like shorter spans. It's like you come over and it's sometimes it's just a comfort thing for like three seconds, jump on, and then you jump right off and they run off and go do something else. So there's just not a lot of, um, there's no reason you see it. Babies are getting all their nutrition basically from their mom. So you, they're breastfeeding a lot more and a lot longer. And these are quick little things here and there for comfort. and I mean, the nutrition still yeah. there too. But this um, comes back
2: to the anthropological. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no. We just are such, like you said, a puritanical Western society where it is interesting because that's sort of what we're talking about a lot in classes right now is just how we're founded on such a puritanical values. But it's just a society. We just decided one thing is right, one thing is wrong. But there's so many cultures that probably breastfeed. I'm imagining, right? Like culturally,
1: Oh, most cultures. You see um, a lot of Asian cultures, uh, many African cultures. uh, The only time you see breastfeeding rates dip in underdeveloped areas, too, is because of um, predatory marketing, uh, which is it goes against the WHO code, which the World Health Organization actually created a code because there's so many. What gets me like in these really impoverished areas without potable water, There are actual, they're aggressively marketing it to be this westernized, better for you thing for to have formula um, in these areas. And so the breastfeeding rates drop pretty dramatically. And also the infant mortality rates because of diarrhea go up like astronomically high too. Hmm. You're like, how can this like, I just don't. And then they're also trying to privatize water in those areas as well, Hmm. (laughs) which is just just starting. It's really, really bad. Um, Nestle was like, they, are, they have been known for years, um, like decades to do it. There's all these boycotts, but they just keep getting – people try to boycott them. I don't even try. They, they own everything, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger. I think they own Pepsi, um,
2: but, they're, yeah, their bottled water doesn't even come from yeah, it's a, design, a river or think, something. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Nestle Life owns – they own everything. I mean, but mm-hmm. – and it's not just them. There's other companies that do this too, but it's just – you would think that you're like, Oh, these people don't have that much money, but it, it adds up and it becomes a, a big source of revenue for them. Um, which is it, it with with a huge cost to it too, of, of taking, basically taking people's lives. So um, it's just awful, but yeah, but in other cultures, especially in like rural areas and places you, you see this, it's just a natural part of, and it's for survival too. Like in, in Ghana, um, you would find the minimum age that you would see um, in the village that I was in uh, weaning would be three, and that was like the minimum. And that was if like, and they would find like if you, something happened where the mom couldn't breastfeed, or if someone died, a parent died, they would find a lactating relative or a neighbor or someone to breastfeed up until three years old because mm-hmm. it was such a such a big form of um, nutrition, especially protein for for children there. Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like it's just because we don't necessarily need it here doesn't mean that it's not beneficial or that it's harmful especially you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's just uh but over there it's like kind of a necessary thing
2: yeah right wow that's so i know it's just from the perspective of like we just get locked into how we do things and so to see anything out of place we really do i think as a society is thinking people we need to just think beyond what we're used to just because we're used to it because society said it was okay. And yeah. as you just said, you oh, know, under- how they shifted the the timeline, I don't know if it's the World Health Organization shifting it from 1 year to 2 years, but that's a perfect example of what we thought was strange was actually verified by scientists and everything else. So we need to just be more
1: open-minded
2: in this culture is my basic Yeah, belief. it was actually, it
1: was the American academy for pediatrics and Got i think it. that's why because with american it was they yeah. kept it really short and they finally joined the rest of the world on on their recommendations but mm-hmm. yeah no it's absolutely right and i think it's a lot of it is you know disempowered patriarchal culture and and rape culture um that's creating this sort of it's we have a lot of sexual repression and like hyper hyper-sexuality in our culture too and I think the schism of those two things because we're hyper-sexual like we are obsessed with sex in a weird way that's like almost it's not it's not even normal, and normal. We're, I, I think it's because we're sexually repressed, and because of that, the schism I think creates yes. sexual pathology, and then you get a lot of things like. Oh this. my God!
2: Look at TikTok, and then look at how people talk about sex being bad, and look at our thirteen-year-olds doing sexy dances on yeah. TikTok, and it's like it doesn't add up. You know, there's some repression yeah. that's going to happen, and rape.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, and just like normalizing that, and and then you see like the pendulum swinging the other way now and people are like they're they're picking up on it but like it, the way that it has to work too to like for people to point it out is like it's ugly both ways too it's just like this isn't an easy thing but it needs to be addressed and fixed in our culture i think we're trying to now a little bit but it's going to be a long road ahead how
2: do we like jamie you are so good at well you've written uh, did you write about this anywhere like how do we fix that no. problem
0: is it <laughs> I, I think with, how do we fix the world jamie with, please tell us
1: <laughs> i think people need to talk about their being abused um if when they're ready for it and then we as a society just need to believe them too i know it's like it's, i think there's a an issue with like amber heard is a great example of that too where it's just it's one of those things they both were abusing each other there's i don't think that there's any any doubt of that but right. you know what ha- but that's been used really negatively to talk about you know women who lie about things and um lie about their sexual abuse and uh i i think it's like it's derailing the conversation that we are having and it's not making it easier Is like we just need to agree and support women who say that they've been abused period like that's exactly just, you Yeah, that's the only thing that we can do to move forward. Otherwise, we're creating all these weird side conversations that are going nowhere.
2: That's true. And maybe like in the educational system, we're still pretty puritanical there, right? Where we just talk about anatomy as anatomy and not like taking care of someone emotionally when you have
0: intercourse or some of the other nuances i don't think they go there at all right yeah and i just learned too in some of the scandinavian countries they will teach their adolescents um sex ed in in school includes how to be kind to someone how to um talk to your girlfriend and support her how to hold her hand um all the emotional stuff first and then they get into the physical stuff
1: yeah air so much stress. they're, they're always ahead of us
0: <laughs> I know it's like light bulbs come on people let's do okay. this
1: yeah they're considered happier I don't know they're just they've just they've really figured it all out but yeah. um yeah no I think the other yeah the other one was remember in and Zari I don't know if I'm saying his name right and that one I read the woman's thing and I was like this doesn't really look like a rape it looks like a bad date but in the new but it's the nuanced parts of that that need to be addressed where it was like he if you look at it she said she was uncomfortable but she didn't say anything and like those are the things like he looks like a he looks like a jerk like I would never want my kids to behave like him but it also wasn't a sexual assault he just was a like he's a dorky guy who suddenly got famous and girls wanted to go out with him. and and I think that he took advantage of that but like not understanding like if someone isn't like walks out of your you have a sexual encounter with the person and you think it's consensual but she leaves in tears like who wants someone to cry (laughs) (laughs) you know like that should make you feel bad I'm assuming that should be like a negative emotion and so it's just like understanding like hey this person doesn't seem that into this right now maybe I should pull away maybe I should check in on them yeah Um, we haven't we haven't learned that if it's consent is like Yes means yes, no means no. Like, we, I think we've all figured that out at this point after, like, Me Too and everything. But it, it goes deeper than that.
0: Yeah. Now I just heard that they are starting to film selfie videos. Couples are. A, a guy and a girl. Like, yes, I agree that we are about to have sex. Yes, I agree. Okay. Everybody oh, sees this. Oh. And they lock it up, you know, <laughs> hit stop, and it's saved for good. And then everybody's protected, which seems wow. so clinical. But maybe I- in this... Day and age, we need that. I don't know.
1: Well, no, that seems that seems really unsexy, but it also doesn't really work because if she decides halfway through she doesn't want to anymore and he that's continues, a... that's considered rape too. You can, like, stop at any time. Right, um, right.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, and that's so, the other thing they try to teach, I guess, in, in college or high school. I don't know where they're doing this. I think college. But, you know, keep asking along the way, is this okay? Are you sure? Are you still okay? Are you still okay? So it's all about consent. And I hope it makes a change, but yeah, it's it's. But-, but
2: has anyone? Okay, I have to ask you, ladies. Has anyone done that with you in your? And no. I know Jamie, you've been married, and Joel's been married for a long time. But did you ever have those conversations? Not. Well, really. I've known a
1: lot of people. <laughs> My few marriages. Um, no, I never. I dated a lot of athletes though so, and I remember like if I were was trying saying something and I was being playful about something and said no I've had it happen multiple times they will jump off of me and be like no means no I'm like no I didn't mean it like that yeah. at all. <laughs> They're,
0: <laughs> They're like, like I'm gonna get kicked up, off the team I, the ga- I gotta year. stop. <laughs> oh
1: my god. Yeah I don't want a lawsuit they do not want like yeah they do not want anyone yeah. trying to like you know source them for money or something like that and you're just no. like oh my gosh like you're like there's trauma there on the other end too but it's i it's a lot different than than it is for women but you're like yeah. oh okay that was drilled in you somewhere <laughs> yeah that's good though
2: i mean that's a good sign of progress yeah, right yeah. or you just choose what? really nice guys yeah but really- being
0: the mom of boys too i was just gonna address it from that angle it's like we do have to teach our boys um the, the care involved and, and, and everything they have to do along the way. Oh, it's a God, lot of parenting absolutely. that needs to happen. What were you going to say, Jamie?
2: Oh, I don't remember. I think oh. it was just... I know. Spur the moment. <laughs>
1: All right. Yes. Oh. Is there
2: anything else you want to say about your book that was really important to you in writing it or a subject that you want people to know about?
1: No. I think it's <laughs> just... I'm really proud of it. I love it. But it's just... It's one of those ones if you... Yeah, if you're interested in the
0: topic. I recommend it highly. If not, snooze your way through it, probably. Got it. No, I think it's it's got good things. And tell us about Alanis too. I know I talked about that before, but um, are you I, guys I still have. friends? And oh yeah, she
1: wrote she wrote the introduction um, for me too, and kind of talks about her experience being the time cover for the first time, and uh, it's really sweet. So it just that's more. I just try to keep that private because she's such a private person.
0: Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And she reached out to you because she's she saw you on the cover yeah. and, and knew what you might be going through and has a similar background yeah. and, and parenting style. And I love that. Yeah. Very good. And then now you're married and trying to get pregnant. This Woo! is the next chapter. Uh, good luck with everything there. I hope... Um, I hope it goes smoothly. Yeah, it's not going smoothly. It's taking a long <laughs> time, but that's okay. Maybe we
1: won't. We we won't be able to get pregnant. We'll just kind of move on from there. But we're we're going through a bunch of IUIs right now, which is like right before IVF. Um, it's okay, not a what does that experience.
2: mean? All these acronyms. I'm just Inter-
1: mini- IUI is inner uterine insemination. So what they do? Very interesting. So it's um, they'll give me. Which I ovulate on my own, but they just do it anyway, just to cover all your bases. They give you something that makes you crazy, fully crazy um, to ovulate. So you can get, um, sometimes there's more than one follicle too. So your chances of having multiples are higher. Um, which is really, I'm not excited about it. Anymore, but, um, can you it imagine? Work,
0: so it's okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and they give you an hcg trigger shot which is the hormone the pregnancy hormone it's supposed to kind of ripen up the the follicles and make the and then have them pop off So you have this egg about 48 hours later 36 hours later they um take your husband's or your partner's uh semen sample and um they wash the sperm (laughs) Mm. uh, yeah they spin it and wash it and then whatever whatever is um left is uh really a concentrated amount of sperm there's no semen left in it and um and then you uh they make you put it in your cleavage and walk to another room and then they take this instrument and they stick it through your um, a catheter through your cervix into your uterus and they plop it in there and hope it finds the egg wow
0: <laughs> wow. wow yeah the cleavage just to keep it warm and at that temperature yeah. right so oh my gosh oh, oh my opening. gosh Wild, Very sexy. Well, yeah, can
2: you take video of this It sounds really
0: interesting? <laughs> I do.
1: I have. I'll send you some. I took some. Well, it's always people don't want to be videotaped, too. It's really not. It's like it, it, it looks like I'm getting a pap smear. It's really not that exciting. Um, right. But we've taken pictures. I was me walking around with it in my cleavage because I was excited.
0: <laughs> Talking to it. Oh well that's good you're, yeah. you're already getting attachment oh. parenting right there from the very beginning
2: yep. jamie you have such a good <laughs> yeah there you go you have such a good attitude you sound like you're just resilient as hell yeah and that's amazing do you feel that i mean are you just pretty joyful you've done all this wonderful stuff you've been through the ah uh, through all those comments and i don't know how do you feel is life good
1: no it's not- yeah, those don't bother me at all. I'm getting a lot of therapy. So I think that that really does help everything. And yeah. just, uh, yeah, life is, I used to, I was traveling nonstop up until um, about a year ago. And then I now just am at home all the time and mm. cooking and gardening. And so I think life it's a little slow sometimes, a little too slow, but I think it helps re regulate my nervous system. That's so good. that's good.
0: Yeah, yeah, you yeah. you were yeah, a world traveler and and doing a little bit of everything. I loved it. Um kind of watching your journey and here you are now. So, I'm very proud to see how you've grown up, Jamie. <laughs> and I say that as as your honorary big sister over here and the fact that our parents were kind of best friends back in the day. In fact, when I interviewed mom before this interview, she said that her only sources of um, support, really, when she had, well, more when she had Julianne, because she had just moved to California, were your mom and Karen. And that was it. Those were her two people. And they would just call each other on the phone. And so it's kind of like, here we are, full circle. (laughs) Oh,
1: I know. I think that's so sweet that my mom was... My parents remember you guys being around. I think your dad went to go... Um, for like a summer to down to, to do acting and stuff. And so your mom was there with you guys and my parents hung out with you guys all the time. And Aww. that's I think you and Allie were so close, but they were like, yeah, just making sure that your mom was okay when Aww. she was by herself and everything. And it was just really sweet. They had, I think that they just really got, you
0: know, got super attached to everybody Aww. because yeah. you were like, thanks of the family. Definitely. Yeah. Johnny was Allie's or Johnny was Allie. I, I said it again. What's wrong with me? Now I have pregnancy brain. Johnny was Julianne's <laughs> little buddy. Allie was my buddy. Yeah. And then you came along as chapter two. And that was that was awesome. But yeah, there you go, Julianne. You can blame dad. That was the summer he went down to LA to become a stuntman.
2: See, that's my attachment issues. Leaving us. <gasps> oh. Yes.
0: Slank.
1: He became a stuntman? I- no, that I thought he was trying to. I thought he was doing like mo- like movies or something. So, oh gosh, that's really dangerous. It was. It was.
0: Yeah, he worked at a um, ranch uh, called Zorathian's Ranch in Altadena, and as a day camp counselor, a summer counselor, in exchange yeah. for free room and board. And then he could use their equipment to learn all his stunts. So he was jumping motorcycles, he was running on horses and falling off horses. He was falling off buildings into big pads, and that was the summer he did that. So yeah, kind of wild. But thank you for your family for picking up the slack.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Oh yeah, it was slack. It was more just like you know they were just around. So it was it was just that was what his dream, and he wanted to do it. And I think that they were. Everybody was
0: supporting it and then just yeah. making sure you guys were okay while you were here. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, the yeah. village of sorts. Yeah, we sure had fun. Oh. Well, Jamie, oh. best of luck with everything. And I love watching your journey. And where can people find you that might want to follow along too? Where's- and get your book. Yes. My uh, book,
1: you can go to Amazon and find my book. And then also, it's, I think it's probably attached. To my Instagram account, which is just my name, uh, which I think it's Jay Gourmet as my handle. But um, yeah, just look up, search my name, and you'll
0: find me. Yeah, she's she's fun to watch and and good stuff. And your boys are gorgeous and and huge, and it's really cute. You're a good mom. <laughs> I know, such a good mom. We will put everything into the show notes, um, all of the links for everybody listening. So just scroll down to below this episode and you'll see them there and um yeah we'll go from there but we love you jamie thank you jamie bye, thank you all right talk to you soon bye okay sounds good love you guys bye. Bye. Bye.
3: listen while you're driving thank you for subscribing mouse and weens are thriving with your help with your help listen while you're cleaning You'll be mouse and weaning. Thank you for believing in our show. Thank you.
0: Megan, Joyce, Carla, and Jody.
3: For
2: subscribing to Patreon. You are a Patreon dream. Come get your mouse and weens. For dirty words and naughty bits and things that are PG get the naked long uncut mouse and weens at patreon.com backslash mouse and weens ever wonder why your kid won't listen ever wonder why your mom
0: is so bossy well we do all the time that's why we created our podcast love these mother daughter talks with brennan flynn Through a series of open and honest conversations,
2: Flynn and I hope to deepen our understanding of each other and help other parents and children deepen their understandings of what goes on in their day-to-day struggles. (laughs) And more. We are officially now on the Podfix Network. Also, find us anywhere you download your podcasts. Hey, Flynn, I love these mother-daughter talks. Me too.
1: Let's see you on our next episode. This was a podcast of the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at PodFixNetwork.com.